You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. I've heard the sweet music that the children of the night make. <laughs> I know why the cage bird sings. Hell, I've even heard the red, red robin come bob, bob, bobbing along. But you know what I've never heard? I have never heard a crawdad sing. <laughs> to be fair, every crawdad I've ever met was just boiled and on a plate. But, you know. It's like, pss, pss, that's yeah. it. They're sizzling. It's, it's steam releasing from their shells. <laughs> but that's the only time I've ever heard a crawdad sing. But if this latest movie is to believe, crawdads do, in fact, sing. I am talking about a brand new film called... Where the Crawdads Sing? Where the Crawdads Sing. And for some reason, it will not stick in my head. <laughs> I know. It's kind of an awkward title, but it is based on a best-selling novel by uh, Delia Owens. I have not read this novel, so I cannot tell you if this is a good adaptation of that novel or whether that novel is great and this particular movie either knocked it out of the park or did it. But I can only judge it as a movie and... Judge it, we will. <laughs> Fortunately, I am not alone. I am here with my fellow members of the jury, Alan. <laughs> Hello. And Sarah Jane. Hey, now. So to kind of just get through this synopsis very quickly, this story is about a young girl named Catherine. She is a poor girl living in the late 50s, early 60s in the swamps of North Carolina. Marsh girl. Or Marsh Girl, as she's sometimes known. She's living in the marshes of North Carolina. Uh, horrible family life, abusive father, large family, and one by one, the entire family leaves. The mom leaves, the kids start running away, <laughs> eventually even dad disappears. It- <laughs> Apparently no one gave her the memo that she could leave, but yeah. she doesn't. She, instead, she decides to not go to school she evades you know the truant officers social services and she just becomes this local legend of the weird marsh girl this sort of feral child you know illiterate poor and living in the middle of a fucking swamp and somehow surviving in spite of it all i should also mention this is a murder mystery because as the movie begins we find out that there is a corpse in the swamp and everybody suspects the Marsh Girl because, hey, she's the Marsh Girl. Guess what? Mm. If you're an outsider who is ostracized and it's small town bigotry that you have to deal with, everyone assumes you're guilty. Especially if you had a relationship with this particular individual who, as we will find out, is a total piece of shit. Have I left out anything important, guys? No, oh, no. no. And, and I know what you're thinking. Of, of course, the Marsh Girl is beautiful, porcelain skin. Shaved legs, shaved armpits, oh, never yeah. dirty, you know. Nope. So, yeah, 
Just like a marsh girl, as you would expect of a creepy marsh girl. You it's more know? of a marshmallow girl. Yeah. She's white and smooth and, and just creamy, you know? I, I, I know this is something that Sarah Jane and I talked a lot about, how this is a beautiful-looking film, gorgeously shot and art-directed within an inch of its life, yet did we ever feel like we were watching real people in a real place? Absolutely not. Uh, I judge all swamp movies by <laughs> the Claudia Jennings gator bait. <laughs> And she was a woman living in the swamp, and I believe that. She had dirty hair, you know. This movie was nothing like that. This girl, although they put clothes on her that had maybe a smudge of dirt, it was not swampy in the least. Even in the periods where she's supposed to be like a young girl, and she's supposed to be like really, it's like she has dirty feet, I guess. I don't know. It's The movie is really, like her swamp house. (laughs) <laughs> it looks incredible. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, this yeah. this is really, this whole movie just, if there's such a thing as swampy chic, this is yeah. it. <laughs> You've heard of shabby chic? Get ready for swampy chic. Yeah. This is the kind of beautiful swamp where every tree is just gorgeously draped with Spanish moss that is all beautifully backlit by amber light. Everything seems rather clean, but run down. As if it was just, you know, like a refurbished piece of vintage that was placed in just the right spot for the camera. Let's kind of go into some other things, though. Well, that kind of speaks to my larger problem with the whole movie. It's like nothing feels genuine about anything. Like none of the characters, none of the circumstances. It all feels very much... It's like the exact type of thing that might work better in a book when someone can imagine what this Mm -hmm. all might be like. And then when whoever imagined putting this on screen and having these words come out of these characters' mouths and these interactions and the scenarios that were put in, nothing feels real or like lived in in any real way. And movies aren't supposed to feel, I'm not saying it doesn't feel realistic. It's just nothing in the movie feels earned for what they're trying to like, they're trying, when they're trying to convey tension or distress or this girl's condition and her place in this community, it don't feel it. it. We're just told that. But she just looks like a very like beautiful, normal person and everyone else like there's no there's nothing shown that to you other than people saying it. Yeah. And there's um we have to be reminded of the time period. Like they'll put nineteen sixty nine or nineteen fifty three when they went back and forth. But it didn't feel like it was a period movie ever. I you know, there was nothing about it that said that they were in the sixties at all. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, really about the only moment that kind of comes into play, uh, two of the few friends she has are this uh, black couple who run this little mom and pop shop. And, you know, one character comes in and calls the uh, shop owner boy. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we're in the 60s. They're reminding us, you know, this is still the uh, pre-civil rights. Actually, it's in the civil rights era. Uh, It is the Jim Crow South and, you know, that, that's not really the point of the story. It's, it's just, but like so many things, it just feels like a little detail to remind you, but without having to really engage with the period. It's just mm-hmm. a signpost going, Hey, remember what year it is. And by the way, here's an old piggly wiggly sign. So you <laughs> right. remember where you are along the way. Some good things happen to the Marsh girl. Uh, Catherine meets, uh, as a child, she meets another boy who lives near the swamp, a boy named Tate. And he turns out to be very nice and very protective of her. Over time, they kind of form a friendship. He teaches her how to read. He's ready to go to college. This is also, by the way, one of those movies where all of these, like, high school juniors and seniors 
look like they're 30 uh, and you just kind of go with it because, you know, what are you going to do? They seem to have this really great relationship. And then he goes off to school and doesn't come back. So she ends up running into the arms. Well, not running, sort of casualed into the arms (laughs) of another guy named uh, Chase, the guy that we see at the beginning who has been murdered. Now, I should also remind you that not only is this a melodrama and coming of age story, it's also a murder mystery and a courtroom drama. Yes. <laughs> which thank God for that because it means we get to at least spend some time with David Straithairn, who is a national treasure. Uh, yeah. he just shows up, you know, and like basically he is the Costco version of Atticus Finch, you know. <laughs> You know he's going to be the Atticus Finch, you know, small town, progressive lawyer who's smarter than the bigots who's around him. And he takes on the case, even though he's retired, he knows that this poor girl is not going to be given a fair shot uh, by the people of this community. And part of the problem is, and you guys can back me up on this, she's not a very cooperative defendant because she doesn't really talk or tell him anything about what happened. Right. And this is another problem. Well, that idea and the structure of the movie itself is when the movie takes starts off, there's been a murder. We think the Marsh girl did it. Oh, there's a trial. And it's like we're told most of this movie through flashbacks, whether it's witness testimony or her narration, which we suppose is to the lawyer once she gets going. But her demeanor seems that of someone who's still like a very recluse weirdo. But in these flashbacks, as we see her like opening up to these two men in different parts of her life, she seems to assimilate. Quite well, like halfway through the movie, like it's all taking place before the trial. Her demeanor at the trial is that of so like a weirdo. But in the flashback, she seems like a pretty normal person. Like the structure doesn't do it any favors. And like, it's not really doing the actress any favors the way. Like, I'm sure like she was directed as such to act this way, but it hurts her performance. It's like, it makes it a little inconsistent where I think she's like pretty good in every scene she's in. But from scene to scene, she seems a bit all over the place. Like, is she just like a complete recluse like away from society or actually acclimated and she's just like a smart person who's completely misunderstood and sometimes her performance doesn't convey what it needs to i think yeah daisy edgar jones has uh who plays Catherine clark or kaya as she's known by her friends and family she has the difficult task of making us empathize with this strange reclusive girl yet you know, she manages to pull it off more often than not. I, I don't have a problem with the cast. I, I think we can all agree that the oh, cast should, is doing yeah. a good job. Yeah. It's just the material they're given, and more specifically, the way that material is structured and presented to us. Well, at one point in the flashback, they were in the courtroom, and then she's, uh, or they, maybe they were in the uh, jail, and she was talking to him. And then we were in that flashback, which felt like an hour. <laughs> and so I forgot that there was a courtroom drama yeah. even going on. Yeah. And so I'm like, wait, what? And you know. the big issue with that is there's like zero tension in that courtroom drama. Like yeah. zero. Well, not to get into details of the movie, but it seems like the prosecution prosecution's case is very slim. Like the movie presents it as slim, but then... The defendant and our um, David Strahan's like very stressed out about how he's going to win this case. And I don't think they ever really nailed down that she's like in a predicament that she's doomed because everything we see and hear, even in the court, is just like this is ridiculous. Like this is not. <laughs> there's no proof of crime here. Like the movie doesn't ever convince you. Like fuck, she's in it. This is uh, all, all the go. evidence is circumstantial. Yeah, and, it's and all hearsay. The movie says that out loud and then presents it as such, but then it also says this is going to be a really rough thing to win. 
when like you're hearing it and like if, you, if you've seen even like in, in night court yeah. like you know enough about the system to be like i don't think this is a good case i think she's gonna win it was, like so like there's no drama there and it also felt uh toward the end there like an episode of perry mason but like not even the good 60s version because i watch that every night on me tv but it's more like the uh, TV movie versions, like in the 80s. <laughs> kind of like Wait, the- you mean like Fat Perry Mason with the beard? Yes. It's like, kind of like the Columbos when they, when they were doing the, you know, like the Shatner and those right. episodes. Like, I'm arresting Robert Culp for the fourth time already. <laughs> and I love the Robert Culp Columbos. Anyway, so it did feel um, very Perry Mason. And I'm like, this, but not good. And also... I've seen plenty of courtroom dramas in the South, but no one looked like they were sweating. Yeah. It didn't look like, you know, it was hot in there because you know they didn't have any air conditioning in there. And everybody just looked, which is odd because uh, prim and proper and what? There's a real TV. The bit of swag they gave us, not that I kept it, I never keep the swag. Yeah. But. Oh, I was a little fan. And I was like, oh, this is a courtroom drama. It's a southern courtroom drama. You know, everyone's going to be fan. No, this is, this is like a swamp, a town, an entire state that has no mosquitoes or humidity. Yeah, when they're in the depths of that swamp, there's like not a sweat bead on it. Yeah, no, not a mosquito, just beautiful light and glistening water. Yeah, (laughs) it was, there were a lot of issues I had with this movie and it just felt really long. Um, at one point I thought, because we saw this at the Alamo and, you know, the waitress, if you have been to an Alamo, the server, sorry, will come by and get a thumbs up. And you know that you're like in the last third of the movie. That's the last call. That's the last call. But then the movie felt like it went on for another hour. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How long have we been in here? And I should say the official running time that I've seen is that it's two hours and five minutes. And it feels it, but not in a good way. Right. I mean, there's something really weird about the pacing. And I think Alan had a point about how they cut back and forth between the courtroom and the flashbacks to where at sometimes you forget, oh, yeah, uh, I forgot about this court case that's also happening concurrently with these flashbacks. It, it just felt like they should have integrated that material a bit better. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. It's a problem with adapting books. It's all the time. Like, I don't know if the book is structured this way, if it's told like in a flashback narration style or if it's told chronologically. Like, I have no idea, but it seems like this is an issue on a script level with adapting it. Books along, you know, and there's like when you're trying to structure, especially a murder mystery, and it's all spelled out for you, like how do you convey what you could like read and think about and feel to like show you on screen and make it fe- like have it well paced, but also get all the information you need. And I think it's just like a really, I hate to be like a real Debbie Downer, but like a complete failure. (laughs) It's just just never like, I I can't find anything to really latch onto in in the whole story. It it doesn't help that these two long flashbacks, I mean, there's multiple flashbacks, but two extended ones involve her both courtship with a new bow and the end of that relationship. We get to see her do that twice. First, with a very nice sort of a uh, uh, guy named Tate, and then the second one with the sort of scummy guy named Chase, who are both good actors, but you know, like just these sort of bland, generic white boys like who look the same. I, I just assume that you know what, and there's no sexual heat to this. No, they none. might as well have combined those into one character. Chase and Tate combined just make Chased. <laughs> I propose there's a new character named Chased. In fact, by the time they look at it, they go, you know what? We don't need this character at all. 
all we really need him is one of these characters is to die. That's really yeah. the only function he serves. And he's despicable. You're glad when he dies. But then the mystery kicks in and how they resolve that mystery, I think, is what people are really going to like about the book. I assume that's why it was popular. I think so. Yeah. But the way it's handled in this movie, I, I just have to assume it lands better in the book. It's like a, yeah. with a total whimper in the movie. It's just like it it, it, yeah. it isn't hit like the reveal of a mystery. More, no. more just like someone finally like pulling the relief out of like you can leave now. Right. It's like not. It's not, oh, it doesn't feel, there's no impact to anything in the movie, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, not to beat a dead horse, but. <laughs> or a crawdad. Or a crawdad. Uh, you, know, you know, we'll eat those crawdads, but we're not going to beat Maybe them. Maybe we'll not beat them. No. <laughs> no, we're just going to humanely boil them to death. Uh, but why don't we start going into our final thoughts? Alan, would you do the honors, sir? Sure. Um. Yeah, I, I. <laughs> I, I well, I kind of said I kind of started off right off bat, just kind of digging into it, and I don't really think to expound on with that. I do like Daisy Edgar Jones. Um, she was in a movie called Fresh, which I think came out this year. With um, oh my god, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he's um, forgetting his character's name in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Bucky Barnes. Oh, uh, Winter oh, yeah. Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. There you Sorry, go. She's Sebastian. in a movie called Fresh, which is like a really fun, inventive twist. On a slasher kidnapping type of genre thing, it's really funny. So I'm going to recommend that if you want to see Daisy Edgar Jones in something because she's incredible in that. She's good in this, but she is like the really the only thing I could really latch onto. David Strahan's always good at yeah. a base level. Like yeah. when he was on screen, at least he felt like you were t- being taken care of. Yeah, um, he was delivering the most mundane, boring <laughs> di- courtroom dialogue <laughs> I've ever with. So much gravitas, I almost like. Is but this you rousing? believed him, yeah. It was like he's so good, um, you know. And if you have dialogue this bad, get it in the hands of an actor who could like try to make it sing. Um, it almost came alive in those sports, but not enough. So, but could he make the crawdads? But now? could he make the crawdads <laughs> sing? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone can really. I'm. I'm going like one out of ten. Oh, jeez! Wow. I really, really wow. despise is- it. I was like having a really like. The worst thing a movie could be to me, the worst thing is just boring. And this movie was very boring. Were you the one that was like laughing or saying no. things out loud? Because there was someone and I was like, I'm with you. I, I was just like, not thank you, random me. guy. Yeah. Right. I, would, I, would nev- I would never, I would never. Uh, but I I wasn't upset. Like two ladies, like, so we were kind of chatting with each other. Yeah. And a lot of times it really annoys me. But I was like, talk it up. Who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> like we're bored here. Um, yeah, I, I, I did not like this. All right. All so. right. Well, I don't. It can only go up from there. <laughs> certainly. Yeah, I didn't dislike it that much. I don't think I've been on a review where someone gave something a one. Oh, Alan gives ones a lot. Oh, I well, sometimes it's been yeah. a long time since I've been on a, a review yeah, with Alan, yeah. like a year. Okay. Um, this felt like it was a lifetime movie to me, or maybe it should have been like a limited series. I don't know. It just felt like it didn't have any business being a, a movie. <laughs> Sorry. If you like the book, but um, I haven't read the book. So again, I can't tell you if it was adapted properly or not. I don't know. Um, This movie was absolutely not for me. (laughs) I mean, I've already said pretty much what I want to say. So um, I am going to give this four pounds of mussels caught fresh this morning at dawn (laughs) without hearing any crawdad sing. (laughs) There there are certain things I want to talk about. 
regarding this movie. And I can't because you know what? I would never dream of spoiling it for you. Uh, some of you out there are probably looking forward to this movie. I, I keep hearing it's eagerly anticipated based on the much beloved novel. And I have no doubt that there is an audience for this movie. And certainly uh, the young uh, lady sitting to my right uh, really seemed to like it because she had read the book and sort of knew what was coming. I only know this because she was telling it to her date. Uh, <laughs> that poor so person. she seemed happy. So, hey, one satisfied customer, right? Truth be told, uh, kind of mirroring what you guys have said, there's a really good idea in here. There's some very good performers doing the best they can with this material. It's more in the way that the plot is structured, the way they incorporate the mystery into, you know, the greater story about this young woman and her life, which apparently we are going to see from, you know, childhood to a, a very advanced age. I mean, they really try to do this cradle to grave approach. And I'm like, man, this story's already ended. I don't really need to see this long extended <laughs> right. coda, but oh, I see why you did it. There, There's the reveal. Okay, fine. I, I wish I had been engaged enough for that reveal to have any impact with me. And as I always do, when I look at a movie like this, I have to ask myself, who is the audience for this movie? It is probably people who love the book and want to see it on the big screen with a lot of production value and with some good actors. That's fine if you like that sort of thing. And I hate to say this. I hate myself for saying this. <laughs> but when I kept thinking, who is this for? I'm like, you know what? It is for young women who are looking for a strong, independent character anchoring a melodrama, able to fend for herself and also somehow, while living as a desperately poor person in the middle of a fucking swamp, somehow has access to hair product. <laughs> it, it, it's the kind of movie that if you are an audience member and the inclusion of a brand new original Taylor Swift song is a selling point, <laughs> then yeah, you might like this movie. Me being a, you know, middle-aged old ass man, it's just not for me. I wanted to like it. There's certainly elements of this that I admire. I just think the ingredients were there. It just wasn't prepared properly. I'm going to give this three and a half out of 10 oak trees covered with beautiful Spanish moss, beautifully lit and ready to go for the next Beyonce music video, because that's <laughs> what this looked like, except it was, you know. Maybe a Taylor Swift video. Maybe that's more appropriate. That sounds more accurate. I've never spent a lot of times in swamps, but I've lived in the South my whole life. And if the South looked that temperate, I would like to live there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the true dream. You know, living somewhere out in nature with no mosquitoes. No bugs. No humidity. 73. Yeah. And that's my perfect temperature. And fresh yeah. seafood anytime you want, even if you have to listen to those fucking crawdads sing. A Taylor Swift song, probably. <laughs> that's what they that's what the crawdads are singing. <laughs> I, I now really wish that we had had like a little end credit scene. It was like like a Disneyfied version, except it's like Sebastian the Crab. It's just like a little it's just a little crawdad singing a Taylor Swift song under the swamp. I mean, that would have been better than the movie we saw. It would have been something. 